This is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn these days, and also our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, love you to hit that Google review button. Always helps us to uh, get the show out to more people. And you can leave your comments if you're watching on social media in the comments section below. We'd love to see what you have to say about our stories. Email us if you'd like to get in touch. Hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And also, of course, Property Matters now available as a podcast every Monday, 24 hours after the Sunday show on all of those major platforms you can see over there on the far side there. And we're live on Dilsey Radio as well. We welcome our property expert, Joe Joshi. I was going to start by saying actually this morning that... Um, it's interesting, is it? Because actually, you know, we, we look for stories during the week, keep an eye, eagle eye out, both of us for the stories. And um, it's just so damn hard to find anything good news in property at the moment. It's so tough. You know, I look on there, the first story is, you know, interest rates may have to go up to 7%. We think, well, we've kind of covered that one off uh, for quite a few weeks now. Um, and uh that's not going to really motivate people to, to to get involved with property particularly. And and it's really difficult to find any good news at the moment. But um, and it, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about rentals, lettings, uh, you know, uh, t- landlords, tenants, uh, uh, people buying private treaty. But the only thing positive at the moment is that, that you know, you can dispose of qu- uh, property quickly at an auction. But you're saying to me people don't like the prices that people want to pay. Well, it's not so much it's not so much that uh, that people want to pay. I mean, the reality about auctions is that it's the reverse, and of course, it's a shorter period, and it's actually it determines the sale uh, rather than prolongs it. So, private treaty has always been uh, obviously the preferred choice that most people tend to go towards, um, and and they say, you know, what well, I want to get the best possible price, and it's governed by not just market trends. It's not governed by just the agency. It's also governed by your local neighbourhood. If someone's achieved a higher price down the road, you always feel that yours is better, and therefore you think that I'm going to actually get a better price for mine. So subsequently, you always you know try, try a higher price. But in a given market that we're in now, and when uh, money lending is becoming probably challenging is a is an understatement, as Bob will probably help us out. I mean, it's just become almost uh, impossible. I've had two or three potential um, offers this week that have been revoked purely because of the uh, interest rate change, not because of their circumstances. And that then prolongs the whole system further down the road. It's another six, eight weeks before you're going to get there. Um, So in that private treaty section, it's just a little bit long-winded. The auction route is the best method of sale. It's, you know, it's concise. there's There's a level of time. And obviously a guide price is set to generate the best possible interest in the property. And if it's the right property and it's the right money and it's the right buyer for it, they will talk the property up to what it's actually worth at this moment in time. And of course, we all know a property is only worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it. Um, and, and so, but it's always had a negative kind of marketing view as an auction because they think it's always something that's about desperate, it's something about that, something that's not going to sell in an ordinary market or circumstances may be such. But I would always continue to ambassador this situation by saying it's another method of sale and it's a very good method of sale uh, given the circumstances that may prevail to each person and individual. 
We're talking landlords and we're talking uh, rents this week particularly uh, and, and, and this first story really focuses around the capital as I was just saying at the beginning. New research out this week says there's been a 41% reduction in the number of London properties available for private rent since COVID-19 pandemic amid warnings that turbulence and supply constraints in the private rental market are worsening, worsening to near record levels of homelessness across the capital. This has been done by LSE and Savills. Um, and uh, uh, for a partnership led by the cross-party group of London councils. The London buy-to-let market is contracting as landlords exit the sector, which coupled with the freeze to the local housing allowance and skyrocketing rents is compounding the challenges faced by low-income households seeking affordable accommodation and by London boroughs working to prevent homelessness. So basically, um, they estimate that 166,000 Londoners are homeless and by that they mean either out on the streets or living most likely in temporary accommodation arranged by their local borough. This figure is equivalent to the entire population of some London boroughs or to the total number of residents of a city the size of either Blackburn or Oxford. So basically 166,000 people are living in temporary accommodation and it's costing London boroughs 52 million each month. So it's a similar situation in some ways to the refugee situation. We're having to house the people, or the councils are having to house these people at the cost of £52 million just for London. It does seem uh, extraordinary, doesn't it? It's really, truly unbelievable that in a, uh, <laughs> in the 21st century and in, in probably one of the richest nations in the world that we are having such crises that are almost third world crisis to some extent. And uh, it's quite scary to think that this is where, you know, uh, we are as a, as a nation at this moment in time, especially when you think that uh, there was, I think seven million pounds a day was going towards um, refugee camps. Um, and that was um, temporary accommodation that was provided. And here we are talking about the population um, of uh, places like Oxford, um, where, you know, we have potentially a lot of people in temporary accommodation or are homeless. And that's quite frightening. And that, that this, this is a real wake-up call for, whether it's the blue or the red, it doesn't matter who's in power, it's, it's a wake-up call for all of them to understand that this is now a, a, a real crisis uh, that has to be taken into consideration. Um, and the cost of it is just accelerating beyond. I mean, I'm not really sure how many people are going to be able to continue to pay the rents that are currently being demanded and forget about them on a private basis i don't know how long the councils are going to be able to continue to pay those those rents for them uh, on, on their behalf um you know it is it is uh, it is a quite a desperate situation from that point however i mean the, the thing you have to understand with property is, is it is the wish and the want of all that are around one day to own their own property um, and that is is a little bit further away from where we sh we should be. It's just been sort of dragged away, thanks to a, a certain lady that came into false power for a short time, um, and um, you know that that situation has now escalated to where we are now beginning to all suffer. So they reckon that the one, two and three bedroom houses that have been listed for sale have fallen uh, by 36% since the pandemic. And here's the big one, four bedroom houses, so the typical family home. Properties have almost halved, 46.6% drop in the number of properties being uh, offered. Across one, two, three, four bed properties, the overall reduction is 41% down on to 2017 to 19 average. This reduction in the availability 
of private rental accommodation is higher in London compared to the fall of 33% nationally. So what I don't understand, Joe, is that if there's not enough properties and we've got 166 million people that need to be uh, um, housed across the capital, 166,000 people, I'm sorry, that need to be housed across the capital, and, and these properties are in demand because they're in hugely short supply, you would think, well, you know, I, I can get a rental, rental property out in the market. It'll be full uh, and, and rented within um, and let within uh, a month at the very earliest. And um, I, I can charge a premium rent, surely, because I've got people queuing up at my door. So why are landlords not thinking, well, do you know what, I could give that a go? Is well, it just the mortgage part, rate? Part, partly, Paul, because of the cost of, of um, funding that property and borrowing has just gone beyond and also the affordability for those that want to come in is not quite matching it um, and when you when you think that whether it's, it's the local council um, that's renting it or private individual a four-bedroom house on the average is now <laughs> wait for it uh, achieving somewhere between three and a half to four thousand pounds a month um, and so you know if the borrowing has been a high that borrowing has gone up to maybe two and a half to three thousand pounds before they start looking at any of the other exes. It's just, you know, that's why it's not the case that they want to quickly, they, some, some landlords just want to get out because it's just become too expensive for them um, to, to rent to, the, to these people. Um, and the rentals are not achievable because at the end of the day, even if you're putting a family of four with a, with a council, some councils are not prepared to pay what are the market rents and of course, I think from some data, some councils haven't even upgraded their rents for the last um, three or four years, um, and the market has changed a lot. So if you're a, a homeowner and, and you've got a high percentage borrowing, then of course you, you can't afford to rent it out. If you're a homeowner and you've had it for some years and you've managed to, you had it at a lower rate or you've owned it cash outright, of course, you are in the best place because you are now getting the best return for your investment. Yeah, they're saying that rental prices have risen by 20% since March 2020. So that's the, what they call the pre-COVID level. And they're also saying that the number of rental properties now being advertised for sale has more than doubled since the pandemic. And that's going up every single month, apparently. So there's a clear Im this has a clear impact on low-income households looking to rent. I mean, I suppose, you know, if you if you have a job, in, in London, you've got to live in London, but it does surprise me that that people still seem to want to live. If they earn twenty five thousand, they still seem to want to live in London. But there's no way you can live in London on twenty five thousand, surely. It's a real challenge. It's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? They want to live in London and their job is in London, but the accommodation is expensive. Now <clears throat> you've got to think about where else can I go to? Of course. Thank God for the Elizabeth line that's finally got up and running many, many years after its schedule. But it, that has allowed people to go further afield. But even further afield is now catching up with some of those places like London and West London and so forth, where the Elizabeth line has began to sort of open the door for further. But then you've got to balance that situation with the travel. So the cost of travel, the time of travel, and the, obviously you've got to put a price on your time um, and where it's going to be. So. The hybrid um, working is probably the, the best option nowadays, where basically some of them are working from home for a certain number of days and some people are working from their offices when they're having to go into it. But of course, that's what's really pushing the pushing the, the chart. So if somebody's earning £25,000 a year and wants to live in London for £25,000 a year on that basis, 
then yes, all you're going to do is live to pay your rent. You're not going to have a, a life. So you may have to consider, you know, um, moving a little bit further out in order to achieve that. Well, we are talking landlords and uh, uh, Bob has very kindly put up a landlord survival plan. So how if you are a landlord with a small portfolio or even just a, a property, um, this is what he suggests. The survival plan says, number one, secure your income streams. Number two, protect your loans with life cover. Number three, make sure lettings, docks and legals are all in order. Number four, even ask tenants to get income protection. Interesting one. And five, balance your loans to value across your portfolio. And six, finally, plan ahead for remortgages. Act now before the values drop. That's an interesting and comprehensive list there. Let's just uh, go through those. So securing your income streams, one presumably means make sure you've got your tenants uh, tied into uh, long-term contracts, I assume. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, income stream is not just about uh, your own personal income based on your salary or your job, but also um, make sure that what the, the properties that you have rented out are achieving the best rent. So you need to go back and negotiate with um, the existing tenants. Um, most are expecting it. Um, some can't afford it. Some can adjust it. Um, so obviously get that as best as possible um, in terms of getting the, the income stream um, on, on track. Um, and um, of course, if you have to, and some people are now beginning to even take um, you know second or third jobs in order to make sure that they are you know bringing the right kind of income to protect what they've got. Second one was uh, protect your loans with life I actually thought, for certainly was in when I took out a mortgage, that it was a legal requirement because I actually had an endowment mortgage, as you know, um, and uh, and it was a legal requirement that you had life cover. To secure, and I always often joked, especially when, when when the loans all went to chalk in the nineteen, the turn of the nineteen nineties into the two thousands. Um, I often joked I'd be better off dead than I would be alive. You probably was right, but thank God you're still alive. Otherwise, I'd be having a challenge in this program. I'll be honest with you. Um, but <laughs> but but yes, this this I don't think it's a legal requirement. There was a, a, a suggestion back in the days when these the endowment mortgages were offered and bob will be the man to correct me on this um it was a option that you had in order to uh, you know provide some sort of way of uh, redeeming or clearing that mortgage at the end of its term or at the end of its life however these policies were unit linked and linked to the stock market etc and just just didn't perform to the levels that they were going to going to do and uh, very very quickly when people got into difficulties they looked at the value of what they'd thrown into that. So let's say if they've thrown fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds worth of payments into a, a policy, they thought, well, I might as well take that out because I'm not sure if, if the next time I look at it, I'm even going to get my fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds. So a lot of people ended up cashing up their endowment policies, and of course, then there was no other vehicle to be able to redeem that uh, mortgage at the end of that time. The problem is that it, in, in my opinion, it's the reverse. If you were actually going to be looking at redeeming a mortgage and having a redemption, sorry, having a, pay, a repayment mortgage, then that probably should be more encouraged by lenders to make it repayment and make it more attractive and perhaps spread it over a longer period. Um, and again, Bob will probably be able to advise. I'm not a, a mortgage advisor. I'm just giving a, a general view of what I think it could be. Then there's more chances of people taking a repayment mortgage. So thinking, well, actually, there is something at the end of the end of the tunnel and I don't mind having a little bit of pain but not as much pain as inflicted 
if you are just on an interest only, um, the easy way is out. You know, we're never going to die. We all think we're immortal. It's not going to happen. So I'll, I'll live it through and, and hope to see what happens at the end. The reason why that exists is because obviously people uh, try and say to themselves, I'm going to have a um, capital benefit. In other words, the house is going to be worth much more than what I paid for it. So even if I flogged it at the end of a 25 year term, I'd probably clear the mortgage and I have some you know, change left and go and buy somewhere else. Um, and that is probably not far from the truth in a, in a lot of cases. Only currently people are thinking, oh my God, house prices, but they've forgotten that over the last two to three years, house prices went up by 20%. So if they're shaving about five or 10% off now, they're actually not on a loser. It's just that the media loves to say, look how bad things are. Actually looking at point number four, asking the tenants to get income protection, um, actually reminded me that actually I've seen in a lot of the uh, landlord chat groups on Facebook, for example, that a lot of landlords are actually looking to sell to their existing tenant where they've had a relationship that's been good and strong for a number of years. They've given them first choice to, to, to buy the house off them. It's an interesting uh, thought, isn't it? Because you wouldn't need uh, estate agents and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a small amount by comparison, if, if that's the right. But yes, if they want to sell out, Obviously, you've got a ready-made ready -made purchaser, but it's not the case that those tenants may be in a position to be able to afford that in the affordability calculator. Again, Bob will be the man to be able to tell us that, that they could afford to turn around and say, yeah, I can now, instead of renting it, I should buy it. Uh, though it makes eminently good sense that um, somebody should buy that property uh, and probably save themselves quite a lot of rental money. Um, but it is about affordability. Yeah, uh, someone has actually confirmed that actually life cover is no longer required by lenders, which is a surprise, particularly in the situation at the moment. Um, 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 ah, T's and C's of agents would mean landlords still pay commission. That's an interesting one. Yeah, so basically, if you do if you do sell it, then there would be a, a, a commission clause payable. So you still got some costs coming in, which is interesting. But I also saw this week very interesting piece. I think it was in the Times, actually, Joe, and it was talking about the fact that obviously with mortgage rates going up so dramatically that actually there is an argument at the moment says, and this chap had actually done this, what he'd done was he'd taken money that he'd invested in shares, money that he'd invested into his pension, he took out the 25% maximum that you're allowed to take out now and basically paid down the mortgage because he realised that it was getting to the point where the savings weren't delivering and they actually could be saving on the interest by taking the money out and paying down the mortgage. What do you think about that? Well, it's great if you've got that kind of savings to be able to turn around and say, I'm earning enough interest to pay down. But a large you know, percentage of the people don't have such levels of savings and don't have such levels of of issue that's like one 0.11 percent of the entire population that might have that facility and yet somebody's picked that up and said that's a good idea it's a great idea but unfortunately for the last god knows how many years the, the rates have been so low for the, the savers the chance of them having such levels of savings um, mm -hmm. and interest made on it is probably negligible not even worth discussing but the, the concept is, is a good idea and i've always said constantly that basically there should be a system a device, some sort of way of, uh, you know, those people that don't want to deal with leaky taps to be able to invest their money on a high return. And the government and whoever creates that situation would actually come out much better. And the housing market probably wouldn't have such volatility because what happens is that first time buyers don't get a chance all the time. 
investors got money in their bank and thinking it's not actually giving me a return. So they go and buy a property that normally a first time buyer may have bought, rent it out to the first time buyer that would have liked to have buy it uh, in the first place. Um, and so, so now the government has changed the game altogether and every investor wants to get out because they're now beginning to tax them and thinking, hang on a minute, these guys are making too much money here. Uh, properties are going up too much and they're also getting too much rent. So, but they've shot themselves in the foot because the private rental market is the market that's been actually shouldering and holding up the government who have not been able to build any houses or as many houses in order to accommodate all these people that are currently in private or um, temporary accommodation. Yeah, I mean, it is a problem of their own making since 2017, isn't it? I mean, this triple whammy of rising costs of borrowing, greater exposure to tax and all these regulatory changes, renters' reform bill supposedly coming in. We'll come on to that in just a moment. But I mean, you know, it's just all that hassle, like what we, what we, what we generally call the, the leaky taps, all that hassle to get probably something like 4 or 5% return when you could simply stick the money in a building society now and get 7%. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is the reverse of what should have happened. In fact, they should have been offering the 5, five 6, 7% to, um, to people that are a certain age. I've, I've, I don't know how many times I've said over on our, on our programs that if at a certain age they gave that facility to people who then didn't need to get involved in leaky taps, who'd probably rather enjoy a cruise across the Mediterranean somewhere, not think about it, they would have so many more people that wouldn't do that. However, for some reason or another, you know, that, that's something where the lights are and no one's at home. They haven't thought about that. And so what's going on is they just keep doing the same thing, pedaling the same bike. It's just going down the same road. Let's do this. Let's, you know, hike the interest rates. Let's reduce the interest rates. Let's hike the uh, stamp duty. Let's reduce the stamp duty. Um, th th that's, that's the yardstick that every successful government has used the housing market for, yet they can um, change that. Another point that Bob makes, uh, for those that are new to the programme today, perhaps uh, better say that Bob Singh is our expert mortgage person from Chess Mortgages, who we have on the show every now and again, but Bob's, uh, along with several others, including Guy, are, are very loyal viewers of the show as well, which we love. And um, he also comes in with some really good and useful, helpful advice at times like this, for example. So he said, what's happening at the moment for, for landlords, which is another whammy we'd forgotten to mention, was that surveyors are not assessing the rents high enough. They're being really cautious. So when a landlord's trying to demonstrate the fact that, you know, there should be a significant market rent here um, to, to, in order to cover my costs and make it affordable, they're assessing the rents low just to be really, really cautious. And so with these new stress test loans, they can't uh, reach the desired 75% loan to value. So uh, just another way that they get kicked while they're down. Yeah, I mean, surveyors, <clears throat> in my opinion, are the umpires in our game of cricket. Um, and so, you know, if, if they've gone round there and turned round and decided, done their valuation and decided that basically that's what it's worth, that's the rental market, the lender is totally and 100% reliant on that person. Now, that person may or may not even have the experience of that local area, but they've been chosen off a panel because they're qualified Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, you know, do their, their due diligence and they could be the one that turned around. There's absolutely no, um, you know, whatever they call it, the camera or the Photoshop that we can actually make a difference uh, on. This is purely done on the fact that, you know, the surveyor is going around and say that, you know, he doesn't think that the rental market is going to be getting the rent as much as we think he'd like he'd get. 
and of course that the value is well it, it, it should be and most surveyors have got a uh, mandate at the moment both from their own companies and from the lenders that they've got to consider a, a minimum of 10 percent 10 to 12 percent margin of error so if the house is worth a hundred thousand pounds they're already saying it's worth ninety thousand pounds before you even start the uh, start the operation so you know it, it's it is uh, a challenging situation this report says there are 301,000 people on waiting lists for social housing in London at the moment, but a number of these people that are commissioning this report are hopeful that the Renters' Reform Bill will uh, go some way in addressing this, which I find naive, I, I think, really. But the other thing I was going to say to you is I also read this, I don't know if you saw this, but um, they're wondering whether... Or observers are wondering whether the Renters' Reform Bill is being gently kicked into touch at the moment because obviously it's had its first reading and they've announced the government timetable for the next uh, I think 18 months of the election and there's nothing in that report that says that they're going to do a second reading to the renters reform bill so you would have expected where the first reading was like a month or so ago six weeks whatever it was that the next reading would be in this next autumn sort of September to November time um, but with the Queen's speech, uh, the King's speech, whoops, uh, King's speech and various other things to uh, to get in there, there's no room for the Renters' Reform Bill. And there's just this sneaky suspicion that actually it's been um, moved into touch. In all honesty, I've never really liked the Renters' Reform Bill. I think it's a complete pile of uh, pants. Um, it's, it's just Gove trying to go around the houses of maybe justifying his position where he is. He also has made a massive U-turn in this last week, where he think now now says that the um, private renters PRS are so important to the economy and to the housing market in the United Kingdom. After he's absolutely crucified them in every possible way, um, so I wouldn't be too surprised if this renters reform bill finds a bin quicker than it is. The fact that he's a, a strong supporter of the the Sunak camp is probably what's keeping him in the job, but maybe they should give him another job and get him away from this. He probably doesn't even have a buy-to-let property himself. He's just not got a clue of what he's talking about as far as I'm concerned. And this renters' reform bill doesn't make any sense. The Section 21 is actually causing more problems in the marketplace because of what he said and that he wants to reform. So many more people are now giving notice to tenants because they feel that once they get this renters reform in, all of a sudden their position is going to be weakened by their by, by this, and the tenants will have all this you know red tape to get through to to try and justify and mediate and spend time, energy, and money, and and before you know it, you know they they could be not paying the rent and they could be sitting in a property that is just no no good for man or beast. So I wouldn't be too surprised, Paul, if this renters reform actually is kicked to touch sooner than you think um, because there's a lot of people in the current state who just don't support it. Let's move on to a second story. I want to cover another story. I mean, it's on the same theme where, again, we're talking about lettings. Um, and this was a really interesting piece that was uh, slightly different to the usual bad news that we're receiving at the moment. Thousands of adverts for rental homes posted by lettings agents and private landlords state that children or pets are not welcome. This is new BBC analysis. There are no laws explicitly stopping this, of course, although that could change under the Renters' Reform Bill, as we, we do know. The BBC article said a single mother of three told the news platform that she and her son had been surfer-sofing 
surfer surfing sofa surfing <laughs> while searching for a place to rent property mark featured um a, a piece saying that the government cap on deposits in england made landlords more wary of damage specific, specifically in relation to pets the national residential landlords association said it recognized how important pets were to many tenants and that any bans on children reflected the actions of a minority of rogue landlords of course the the point they're making is that um, statistically, the the people who are likely to be wanting to rent with children uh, are disproportionately female because often when a partnership splits up, the children stay with the mother. So therefore, she's more likely to have children. And they're saying it's not only uh, discriminatory, but uh, sexist as well. Hmm. Um, I, I hear that. And of course, yes, um, uh, in most separations, um, kids end up with the, with the mother. Um, um, not always as, as time has gone on. And um, uh, I don't think there's any discrimination as, as, as such. I think it's just a desire if the boot was on the other foot and those people that renting were renting out, there will be conditions that they'd like. I've heard not just children and dogs and cats as, as the uh, reason for not letting. There's many other reasons when people uh, would prefer not to rent to certain people. Look, at the end of the day, you have to remember this that a property is bought as an investment and that investment is perhaps their income going forward. And you would, of course, um, naturally protect it the best way you can. If it means that you're going to have to make certain decisions that may not be palatable to other people, it's your property, it's the landlord's property, it's their right to a large extent to want, want to try. Of course, you know, the media and the public will say something is discriminatory, something is not right. Um, and, and why, why that would be. But the part of those reasons is about um, noise, about damaging, about perhaps not even having that experience, perhaps some children that may not be, um, you know, children that uh, are, are conforming to current society life. People check a lot of things out now. You know, it doesn't take a great deal to Google something or, or check something out. And people just turn around and say, well, actually, I don't want to do that because it causes problem. Just like they think that those are discriminatory, landlords also find out, you know, the problems that some of those tenants may have had with previous people. It doesn't take a long time to find someone out that maybe is now looking to come away from another landlord because they have become a difficult tenant with that person. So, you know, then they say, well, actually, I don't want to have that particular person because I don't want to have that trouble. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, there's always going to be a bit of a balance in, in, you know, what's right. But, you know, they do have the right to protect their property with the best possible thing. And I think it's it's just, I think each situation should be taken on its own merit. When somebody comes to me um, and says, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to rent a property and I've got a, a small dog or whatever, then sometimes it's good to introduce the landlord and the, the potential tenant and the pet so that they can actually understand that this is not what it is. There have been situations where somebody said, oh, I've got a small dog, and actually that dog is, you know, perhaps not a dog that you want in the house, and the doors have been scratched and all sorts of stuff. So it's the damage that it causes and leaves behind is what they actually fear for more than anything else. So on open rent, 24%, just about a quarter of all of the uh, adverts said the families weren't welcome. Uh, 300 Zoopla listings explicitly said, that's just 1%, 73% uh, of open rent listings said that uh, pets were not welcome compared to 6% on Zoopla. 
Open Rent's an online agent and allows landlords to tick a little preferences box to specify whether children or pets are welcome, which is why their figures are so much higher than Zoopla's, where that's usually filled in by the property agent, so they don't normally mention it. Um, but uh, almost 200 agents or 2% of Zoopla adverts that the BBC an analysed specifically said that children weren't welcome. And the property ombudsman said that they they settle rental disputes, of course. They said in March that blanket bans on renting for families breached its code of practice because they disproportionately affect women um, who are more likely to live with their children. And a solicitor has also said for shelter that it's already unlawful under the Equality Act to have an outright blanket ban on renting to families because of this type of indirect, it's, it's a type of indirect discrimination. So uh, in terms of the Equality Act, you might be getting a letter from a solicitor, but you certainly won't be from the Ombudsman because at the moment it's just a voluntary code of practice. Yes, um, and if you look at just that, the, those comments you made there, the yeah, Open Reach is a portal that allows people to rent open their rent. property. Open rent, open rent. Open, open rent are, are uh, uh, a operative where people can go directly and look at the proportion of, of uh, landlords actually stating what they would and wouldn't like. And Zoopla is a platform a, where agents are going to put the property on the market. And of course, you can see that the agents are, are more diplomatic about what they can and what they can't. And they look at the, the bigger picture and obviously tell their landlords that these are things you can and can't get away from. But if you actually put the reality to test, the landlords actually themselves would not want to have either uh, families or pets or any of those situations that they tick the boxes for. Um, so that's that's the challenge, that's the reality challenge between agents and landlords to persuade them that they are. And I, that's why I go back to the, saying that each person should be judged on their own merits um, and, and, and considered depending on what, what they're offering. And if, it, if it's a situation that is, um, you know, slightly um, not right, then maybe the good thing to do is to do the checks, to do everything else, and prior to completing the transaction, do the introduction to make sure that they are all happy. It's just another example, isn't it, of why it's just easier to put the money these days in a building society and just get out of the hassle, isn't it? Well, I go back to that leaky tap syndrome, really. I mean, do, do you want to have all of this um, if the returns are not there? And that's why there's this exodus going on at the moment from the housing market, from the private rental market, where now the interest is better at the building society who are giving you a good return on your investment. And they're thinking, well, actually, I might as well sell up, get out and stick it in the bank and get my return and perhaps go on that nice cruise that I've been talking about for years. Um, and um, so, yeah, it, 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 you know, again, who's changed that game? The game has been changed by the powers to be. And I think they've got it wrong, badly wrong. Thank you, Joe. We'll see you all again next week.